I, uh, everyone, you are listening to Gather. You're listening to Gather. Together. Gather. This is Amy Solomonis, and this is Gather with Minerva's Books and Ideas, where we'll explore the lives of books and the ideas they ignite and illuminate. Amy here, and welcome to episode three, part two, Fairy Tales Continued. In part one, we explored the way that different kinds of stories and art are used to transfer knowledge and also question narratives and look at what we want to keep and change going forward into the future. This inspired the idea of a kids' writing competition themed Change the Story, Change the World. And we'll hear some of the entries read by their talented writers later in the show for our segment Things Found in Books, or in this case, Things Reworked or Reimagined from Books. They're heaps of fun. As part of this, we'll also hear a specially created song by local father-daughter duo Tom and Freya McGowan. But in between these bookends, caught deep within the And throughout the episode, we'll hear some of Tom's beautiful soundscapes under his moniker Button Jar Canyon. Thanks, Tom. Our guests are Sarah Hart, who you met at the end of part one and heard one of her fairy tale inspired poems. And then how joyfully the frogs bellowed, how they creaked and boomed as their queen drew her king from the damp bank, sank through the glittering haze and disappeared just below the surface. Ellen Sorensen, who will talk about her creative work and read us a tale by local artist Deborah Klein. Sort of ends badly for everybody else, but she um, she sort of sticks to her guns and <laughs> kind of comes out on the upper. I think I liked that. And Lucy Taylor, a six-year-old heroine who showed me around the local fairy park. Magic bell. Let's get going. Up here? Okay. Ah, don't run! <laughs> we get tangled up. Oh, whoa. Imagine if we did get tangled up. <laughs> Once upon a time, there were two podcasters. <laughs> oh, Our book seeds here are by Australian writers, but tell stories that range from 17th century France through to the 2000s in Ballarat. Melissa Ashley's The Bee and the Orange Tree is an historic novel about Marie Catherine Dalnoy described as the untold story of the woman who invented fairy tales. Ashley has said in an interview that Marie Catherine's fairy tales time and again offered templates, if you will, archetypes of female heroines who were resourceful, crafty, cunning, kind and intelligent, using all of their wiles and ways to adjust to and perhaps even subvert a future in which, at least materially, they had very little control. Marie Catherine's heroines, through the arts of conversation and connection, very modern ideas, I think, managed to find ways to cope with the constraints in their lives. They did this by forming meaningful relationships with significant people, kindred spirits perhaps. At heart, this is what Marie Catherine's fairy tales were about, agency and being able to choose who you lived with and hung out with, who you loved, surely the most fundamental choice we ever make. And the second book, Ballarat-based artist Deborah Klein's There Was Once, The Collected Fairy Tales, accompanied by her beautiful art prints, described as contemporary takes on traditional fairy tales, although like all the stories in the collection, they also draw from extensive personal mythology. 
Our indie shout-out this episode is the gorgeous Playing in the Attic, a magical shop in Ballarat where you can pick up a copy of There Was Once, along with beautiful notebooks, cards, toys and art, all lovingly curated by Trudy McLaughlin. And so here we'll consider women using different forms of storytelling like fairy tales, music, tapestries, to voice and critique their experiences as a way of taking control or making meaning of their lives through art and narratives, or bringing new perspectives through the retelling of old tales with themes of empowerment and transformation. Gather round and make sure you're comfy, maybe with a cup of tea or a wine, and enjoy these chats, tunes and tales. So, my lovely guest Lucy here, can you tell me your name and your age? My name's Lucy and I'm six. And you were telling me about one of your favourite books. The Magic Faraway Tree. They're a kid and they want to find a magic tree and inside the magic tree is a whole fairyland. One day Mother said that since she had to be out for the whole day, she would prefer if the children asked the old saucepan man to come and stay with them and bring any other two friends they had made. Good, said Joe. We'll ask Moonface and Silky. Beth wrote a note and gave it to the little white goat to take to Moonface. And what do you think of when you think of fairies? I think of magic and like bright colours. Mm. Like purple and pink and sparkly colours. What about when we get those flowers and you blow them and all the fairies come out? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. There's all different types of fairies and they all look different. Well, some of them look the same. They usually fly around and look for food to eat and for their families. There's a pretty famous fairy. Can you think of the famous fairy? The Tooth Fairy. Yeah, there are, there are lots of fairies you don't think of like that that um, have all sorts of jobs to do. And yeah, do you have a favourite fairy tale or something that comes to mind when you think of fairy tales? Oh uh, yeah, we were talking about Frozen, weren't we? Yes. It's like kind of, there's no fairies, but it's kind of like a cross between a fairy tale and not a fairy tale. There's something about magic, isn't there, when there's magical elements? Yeah. If you wrote your own fairy tale, what do you think it would be about? I think it would be about Little Red Riding Hood and Snow White as sisters and then they split apart in the middle and then they know that being not a sister isn't that fun, so then they came sisters again. After. Don't they be sisters? They would do everything together because they don't really want to split up again. All right, well, should we get on our adventure? <laughs> Where are we off to? The fairy park. Woohoo! What do you think we'll see? Unicorns and fairies and maybe tiny caterpillars. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Thanks so much for being my guest, Lucy. Okay, bye. <laughs> From down there, did you see the fairy castle? <gasps> did you see I a can big see a elf? Castle. A big <laughs> elf? Yeah. And thus, we bring you the bizarre yet charming fairy park, an amusement park atop a hill in the regional Victorian locale of Anarchy.
I am told it's the same as when visited in the 1980s, complete with talking dioramas. I had to see and hear it for myself. Snow White, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and many more of your favourite characters. Have a wonderful time at the Fairy Park. Castle's that? Mm. <gasps> the fairy castle. Who would have guessed? <laughs> oh, what's in there? Later that day, the prince and Snow White were married and lived happily ever after in his castle on the edge of the forest. That's Ariel. Ariel sitting on a rock. The green ones and some of the purple and blue ones are like swooping up and then the other ones are just curvy. Gracie, what do you think? Um, there's lots of mushrooms. Yeah, there is. Let's keep going. Whoa, look at the magic tree. Do you think it's big, Gracie? Magic trees and mushrooms and wishes come true. There's a fascinating lightness, but also darkness to the world of fairies and fairy tales. As the Australian Fairy Tale Society put it, fairy tales can include magic, supernatural creatures, metamorphosis, happy endings, true love, superstitions, sword fights, cross-dressing and even morals. But there are no rules and no definitive claims on authenticity. A tale can be simple and spare, generating uncomplicated archetypes like a king or princess. Or a tale can be complex and sophisticated, filled with a myriad of well-developed characters. There are many kinds of fairy tale. Here we hear about how they've influenced Ballarat artist and musician Ellen Sorensen. My name is Ellen Sorensen. My creative practice is multifaceted. I'd say that I'm a storyteller first and foremost. I write a lot of songs, um, I sing and play piano under the name Shadow Feet and I also have a practice in paper cutting illustration um, so I make very um, miniature uh, light boxes out of paper um, that are multi-layered and often have sort of multi-layered stories to them. So this episode is all about fairy tales which I know are dear to your heart. Very much. Can you talk a bit about yeah why you love fairy tales and how they've influenced your work? I think like it probably came from my mum when I was little, um, my sister a little bit too. Um, my mum always indulged my love of fairies when I was quite young. I remember making Tupperware pools of um, like fairy statues and like porcelain figures and like little egg cups of chocolate chips and hundreds and thousands. And then putting them on the kitchen table and coming in to check them in the morning and the fairies quote had written me tiny tiny letters and said how much the baby fairies had loved splashing in my pools of water <laughs> and there'd be chocolate chips all over the table <laughs> because they were messy and sorry about that in the letter so I think yeah there's definitely that's definitely been something that was sown early on um, but I think maybe as I've grown up and um, 
going to art school was definitely the jumping off point for um, that and living with two um, two musicians and learning to write songs and play play music publicly was definitely the jumping board for um, sort of weaving those into my practice. Are there any particular artworks or songs you'd want to talk about that sort of use the fairy tale imagery and inspiration? Yeah, I think um, probably the the uh, the obvious one is the Woodcutter's Children, and that was uh, one of my first my first finished sort of paper cuts that I made when I was at art school, um, and that came from uh, writing a sort of a subconscious streaming story about uh, my identity and my family, uh, but in the context of a fairy tale. And, um, and yeah, that, I took a frame of that and made that into my first finished paper cut. Storytelling was and is just a way to have uh, maybe power or agency over your own world. Paper cutting for me has been about um, creating my own stories and maybe creating them quietly in ways that help me to process my own experience. Um, I think storytelling is really important for that. There's a, definitely more, a few songs of mine that talk about voyaging and often alone. I think a lot of the characters that I sing about in my songs with shadow feet are solitary and seem to be sort of going on their own path. So from the time of Mari Catherine, women have used fairy tales with their associated magic and transformation to explore themes and experiences otherwise difficult or forbidden to speak of. Today they are a rich source for retelling, as Sarah Hart has described as both a mirror and a challenge to the ways we live or might choose to live. We're about to hear Ellen read Deborah Klein's The Moth and the Butterflies, which Klein says contains autobiographical elements and is loosely based on other human beings whose lives have touched hers in either positive or negative ways. She says fairy tales can help us to make sense of our lives, and in retrospect, I think some of my stories were an attempt to make sense of mine. Beyond this, I hope I've captured something that is also universal to the lives of others. Here's Ellen. I liked the idea of... I won't give any spoilers, but the moth in the story sort of follows her own, uh, has her own value system, and she's undeterred by what other people are doing. Um, I think I've, it sort of ends badly for everybody else, but she um, she sort of sticks to her guns and <laughs> kind of comes out on the upper. I think I liked that. The Moth and the Butterflies There was once a poor orphaned moth who was forced to fend for herself in the great big world. She eventually found herself a job as a governess to twelve young butterflies who lived in the magnificent garden of a great mansion. The butterflies were all very clever and charming. 
Unfortunately, they were also selfish, vain and flighty. But the governess put this down to their youth and inexperience, although she could not help but notice that their parents were little better. The moth was genuinely fond of her charges and believed that they felt the same way about her. Like most moths, she was a creature of the night, but in the shade of the sheltering trees in her employer's garden, she was able to thrive even by day. She had been taught the values of hard work, kindness, loyalty and respect for her fellow insects, and tried to impart this to the butterflies. They hung on her every word, to her face, but as soon as her back was turned, they not only mocked her wise advice, they sneered at her brown and grey colouring, which seemed so drab and dreary compared to the glorious colours and lace-like patterns of their own wings. They constantly neglected their lessons. It was much more fun to play in the sun. They knew full well how its rays showed off their dazzling hues to truly wondrous effect and cared little for the danger in which their foolhardy behaviour sometimes placed them. It is not easy to be criticised, no matter how constructive it might be, and the butterflies found it increasingly more difficult to hide their contempt for her. It was easier than facing the truth about themselves, but the moth loved them and was still blinded by their beauty and pretty words, much as she would have been by a candle flame. One day she came to take her class and found the classroom empty. She could hear the sound of distant laughter and it did not take long to discover its source. Her students were flitting and fluttering shamelessly in the sunshine. She called to them in vain. They only replied that they found her sad and boring. They had no intention of resuming their lessons, ever. She lost her patience with them for the very first time and angrily ordered them back to class or she would have to come and get them. The clear and unforgiving sunlight really did show them in their true colours, which now seemed merely loud and garish. They told her to remember her station and reminded her that she was a night flyer, so she would never be capable of carrying out her threat. Like everything she had ever told them, they said, her words were meaningless and empty. She felt hurt and betrayed but she still loved her charges and believed that she could help them to be better insects. She went to their parents and told them what had happened. Their father and mother professed sympathy, but they were too like their own spoiled brood to take the moth seriously. The moth had lived a very sheltered life. She had never had the chance to explore her own dark world before having to make her way in life in whichever way she could, although she had been told repeatedly that it was vastly inferior to this one. She had also been brought up to believe that she could only exist in the world of sunlight if she remained in the shadows. Now she was an outcast in both worlds and felt a fool for ever thinking she could fit into the glamorous sun-drenched world of the butterflies. Penniless as she was, she still had her pride. She gave the butterflies' parents her notice. They begged her to stay and promised things would change, but she realised that they never would while their parents continued to indulge them and never chastise or criticise them for their selfish and hurtful behaviour towards others, let alone the danger in which they foolishly placed themselves. She set off in daylight, curious to see what would happen. Would she shrivel up and die in the sun's hot rays? The sun rays were too bright for her to navigate her way, and in no time at all she was lost and more alone than ever. 
but apart from a slight headache, she was still healthy and alive. She decided to stop and take a nap high up in the cool, fragrant leaves of a eucalyptus tree. When she awoke, it was night, yet it wasn't really dark. Down below and all around her was a wondrous world of birds, animals, insects and night-blooming flowers, all lit by the silver light of a full moon. And her own brown and grey wings were every bit as shiny, silvery and magnificent as the moon herself. To her amazement, she realised that when she had lost her way in the sun's bright glare, she hadn't really travelled very far at all. She hadn't even left the garden of the great house. The world she sought, her own world, was there all along. She only had to know where and when to look. She was home at last. The moth was very happy in her new home, and in time came to forgive and even feel sorry for the family of butterflies. She realised that their good looks would just get them so far in life before their self-absorption and arrogance brought them to grief. One night, she was flying by the great house. It was in darkness, apart from a single lamp shining through an open window. Like all moths, she could not resist lamplight, and she flew silently in. Keeping to the shadows, she made her way, slowly, until she became accustomed to the gloom. With a sudden shock, she realised she was not alone in the room. The figure of a human being, a young man, was hunched over a mahogany desk and was peering at something on the desktop through a huge magnifying glass. She flew still closer until she hovered overhead. He was so immersed in his task, he was not at all disturbed by the beating of her wings. What she saw was so terrible and heartbreaking. She momentarily lost her concentration and nearly dropped onto the soft, black, velvety shoulder of the man's smoking jacket. Inside a glass case were 14 neatly pinned butterflies. That was The Moth and the Butterflies by Deborah Klein, read by Ellen Sorensen. And now we hear from another talented local multidisciplinary artist, Sarah Hart, who is currently working on a creative PhD project based around her fascination with fairy tales and their contemporary use through a feminist lens. I grew up in far north Queensland and you couldn't really get anywhere further away from the European fairy tale tradition. But I still remember my primary school library and the exact spot on the shelves where they kept the fairy tales and the folklore. And that's where I would go and sit, you know, because clearly I was a nerd, even at the age of seven and eight, um, and fascinated. Uh, and it was the tales, but it was also the woodcuts and the illustrations and just the beauty of it. So I think it came from there. And... Yeah, and then, you know, 5,000 years later, I'm doing a PhD and that's based on that uh, fascination, which it follows on from an honours project, really my area of interest. And, you know, PhDs are just so niche, so niche. So um, the long description for my work is I'm looking at positive collaborative relationships between women in contemporary retold feminist fairy tales. 
So rather than looking at the fraught uh, relationships, which you often see in mothers and daughters, um, that real competitive element, I'm looking for relationships that are, are positive and happy and in general sort of reflect the lived experience of women that I know who wouldn't survive their lives without the company and support of other women. My PhD is a creative PhD, so I'm working on a illustrated novel um, as the greater portion of the research, and then there's the research component as well. So my uh, novel is a retelling of Sleeping Beauty. Very loose. I'd say more a thematic retelling. Um, there's an Australian writer called Danielle Wood who talks about different ways that fairy tales can be used, and one is sort of a straight retelling as a source material, and the other is sort of borrowing stylistically, and I'd say I borrow styles and I borrow themes. Because um, I'm working on the themes of sleep and waking up. And so in your traditional Sleeping Beauty, it is the prince who does the waking up. Um, and there are themes of passivity and sort of waiting and being disconnected. And I guess ultimately looking for connection. So that's sort of really what I'm looking at, but I would like to have the princess in my story, or there are multiple women who could act as princesses, are being woken up by other women um, through friendship, really, or um, support, or being awakened to new ways of living their lives rather than just a straight-up romantic kiss from a complete stranger. One of the, the threads, I guess, that runs through... My story is um, the, the, an element of stories becoming self-fulfilling prophecies. So there are characters who, um, when any part of them comes off, so their hair or whatever, it's gold. So is that a danger? And it's sort of a representation of you know women's bodies being open slather in many ways. Um, and then there's someone else who, whenever she touches somebody they turn to stone so there's an element of disconnection and how do you work with that so the, the elements of transformation and um i guess embodied power in people and but in women in particular i think is one of the things that i get out of fairy tales it's who is telling the story who they're telling it to you know the time that they're telling it um the social context that they're telling it in the age of the person they're telling it to, the need of that person, um, whether they were meant to hear it, whether they were not. And so all of that plays into how the story is received and how it might be passed on. And I think, because I'm sort of coming at everything from a feminist perspective, um, voice for women has always been a, an interesting space because there have been so many periods in history where women have... Um, either not had a voice at all or their ability to say what they need to say has been compromised. And that's, oh, that's right back from Phila Miller. <laughs> anyway, so her story is told in uh, greatest detail, I think, in Ovid's Metamorphoses, and that's about um, the tragic things that happened to her and so that she couldn't tell anyone, um, Terius cut her tongue out. But anyway, she went off, lived in the woods and made a tapestry that told her story and sent it to the court, and then revenge was had, etc. And she turned into a nightingale or a swallow or whatever version you happen to think. And so that has come through from, you know, before Christ, when that, that was sort of written of, and from Greek mythology. 
and made its way into the fairy tales with every mute heroine. So then you have the tales of the seven swans and so forth. And how how do you tell your story if you're voiceless? And so one of the ways that women will do it will be through weaving, which is a theme. Um, it'll be you know telling someone by a fireside when under the cover of uh, housework or in the French court when it was under the cover of gossip or women just getting along, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm very into the context of stories and how they're used, what, what's behind them all. What do you think working in this space today can, can do for the retelling women's stories or, yeah, opening up? Yeah, well, this is my real soapbox. Go for it. <laughs> As I feel like... Um, Disney has done fairy tales a great disservice. To think that I will be the princess bride. Yes, and Cinderella lives. Happily ever after? Yes. How did you know? Because good little girls like Cinderella always live happily ever after. And so the mass production of certain types of fairy tales told in certain ways has become most people's experience of fairy tales. So if you said Beauty and the Beast to... Uh, anyone growing up today, their immediate um, associations would be with the Disney version. Um, and there's so, there's so much more to that. But the problem with Disney is that it, it was based on these conservative American sort of socio-political agendas. And so we come for today and we have thing, people saying things like, I want a fairy tale wedding, I want a fairy tale this and that. And I think, oh, come on, there's so much more to it. <laughs> so... Fairy tales have traditionally been there to sort of reflect how we live, but also challenge it and make it better and say, this is what we, we can do, that we can get rewards. Um, so I think if you're writing in that space today, there's a lot going on. You won't find a, a princess anymore who's not feisty, you know, that's fair enough. But you'll still find princesses who don't have any female friends. And I just don't think that's, you know, a consummation devoutly to be wished. It sounds like a horrible life. You go through all these trials, you escape whatever cave or tower you've been trapped in and you bag a man and you still don't have any friends. Where's the fun? Um, and that's not good for society either because if you're isolated, you're disempowered. So um, that's my particular hobby horse. But there's lots of other things. So there's lots of work going on in fairy tales at the moment around uh, more diversity, um, including queer characters, almost as a matter of course, except Disney. Well, I think we can use stories to tell um, tell ourselves how we want life to look. I think they can really they can operate in two different ways. They can be revealing of what is happening today, but they can also, um, you know, be optimistic and say this is how we want to be, and this is how we can live. These are the things that we value uh, and would like to carry forward, and write those stories, and they will become self fulfilling prophecies. Thanks so much to Sarah and to Ellen and Deborah for this inspiring work with fairy tales. And now to continue, we turn over the mic to our young writers and their reimagined tales. They combine humour, love, sadness, cups of tea and common themes of kindness, overcoming prejudice, female empowerment. And I even learnt a new word. Thanks to one of our winners, Ishika, and a character in her story, an enbi, meaning non-binary. Along with these stories, you'll hear the specially created song by Tom and Freya McGowan titled Turn the Page Today, 
for the theme of the writing competition, Change the Story, Change the World. And for this episode's segment of... Things found in books. You'll hear a new intimacy and richness. Things found in books. I wish I could find a good book to live in. My name is Annabelle and I'm seven years old. Yeah, and I got the idea from a big book of fairy tales that I got at home. (laughs) They once were three little pigs. They were scared as a snail. Well, not all of them. Number three was very brave, so we usually had to drag them around. The wolf who lived in the woods wanted a cup of tea, but he didn't know where to get it from. He saw that number two had 48 tea bags and one really good kettle. So he ran to number two's house. It was a stick house. He said, can I have tea with you? Number two was so scared that he said no and locked the door. Oh no, said the wolf, I need tea. So he ran to number one. Number one had 38 tea bags. He said to himself, not as much, but it will have to do. So he ran to number one's straw house and said, can I have tea with you? The same thing happened. He locked the door and said no again. So he ran up to number three's house and said, enough is enough. I will huff and I will puff until I get tea. Number three pig came out of his house and said, okay, I'll just boil my kettle. The end. (laughs) Gonna have to drink some tea to celebrate. My name is Ishika and I am 10 years old. Uh, This is my story about Cinderella. Cinderella moaned and rolled her eyes as she looked out the window to see her two stepsisters giggling ridiculously as they skipped along, occasionally pulling out a mirror and dabbing on extra blush. They really were ridiculous sometimes, as if anyone would care how pink their cheeks were. The thing was though, people did care. They cared a lot. All these things Cinderella would never in her life understand or live up to, stereotypes she supposed. Nightfall came, and Cinderella was still cleaning the house. She didn't know why she didn't stop when her troublesome sisters left. Maybe she was hoping something would happen. Maybe she was just lonely. Through the window, she spotted a shooting star, and quick as a flash, she crossed her fingers and thought to herself, Please let me go to the ball. Please. Nothing happened, and Cinderella realized it was hopeless. What did she expect? Did she want a whoosh of glitter and then a magical unicorn to appear and magic her messed up life to normal? No, that would never happen. What did happen? that an orb of blue light grew out of seemingly nowhere, illuminating the room in beams of light as it pulsated gently, like a subtle heartbeat. Without thinking, Cinderella reached out and and grabbed the orb, holding it close to her chest. Nothing happened. Then a show of fiery sparks, and a grey-haired woman she recognised materialised. She was tall and thin and pale. She carried a walking stick and leaned against the doorframe as if it were where she'd grown up. She seemed perfectly at home. Um, who are you, Cinderella? demanded. The woman snorted. 
I'm Elder Kiev Squawky. Not that it matters. It will not change your life in the slightest. You may know me as your fairy godmother, I suppose. I'm here to grant your wish. No need for conversation. I have no time. I'm busy. Enjoy your night. And just like that, the woman was gone. Wait, Cinderella stumbled after her. But it was no use. She had so many questions. No, no! Cinderella screamed as she realised that this was it. No last chance of freedom. This was life. Forever. Then she was at the pool. Poised and elegant, apparently invisible to her sisters because they showed no signs of recognition as she walked right past them. Slowly, Cinderella looked up. It was an illustrious castle, beautiful and quaint, but what really caught her attention was a dark-skinned Envy in a canary yellow dress dancing. Hello, the Envy said, approaching her. You're late. Cinderella, was it? Um, yes. Your sisters are horrible. No offense. None taken, Cinderella snorted. So, care to dance? Then, she looked over her shoulder. I think Sir Fancy over there is looking at us. They waved in the general direction of a guy. He looked like a Sir Fancy. Um, sure. They danced. It was amazing. Cinderella had never felt like this before. It was breathtaking. She didn't know how to describe it. It was like pure magic. Like walking on a cloud in the rain. Then the music shelled to a crescendo, and they leaned in and whispered into the hood. Run wild. Run wild. Run wild. There was a knock on the door of a snow-white house, with a light brown door and roof. There were streaks of blue and the word pride painted all over it. It was quite beautiful. A black-haired young woman stood at the door. It was evident that she had recently been crying. A wonderful noise of song from inside stopped. Then someone about, of about 23 opened the door, smiled, and said quite plainly, You'll be wanting Cinderella then. You better plan to be decent. I buy it. There was a joking air in her voice, but not on the word decent. The black-haired woman nodded. The envy called out in the singing, sing-song voice. Ella! Coming, came the reply. The singer winked and left. There were footsteps, and Cinderella arrived at the door with the words, What do you need? They were spoken with no spite or hatred in them, just a gentle coolness. The black-haired woman burst into tears. Cinderella, she cried hysterically. I'm so sorry when you left, Mother made us do it, and, and it's so hard, and my sister left, and Mother chased her, and she's hurt, and I lost, I need your help, please. Cinderella stared. There was a pause. Then she nodded. Okay, she replied quietly. We can talk about this. Amazing. Uh, so I'm guessing you read a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what kind of books do you like? I like kind of fantasy worlds where the main character gets dragged into a fictional world like Nevermore or Harry Potter. Yeah, an amazing language too. So many, um, yeah, descriptive words. And um, it, yeah, we read it a few times over to get all the details because it was so well written. Thank you. <laughs> fairy tales. Like, what do you think of when you think of fairy tales? I just actually, I honestly think of rewriting them a lot, which is why it was really perfect when this competition started. Yeah, and why do you think they should be rewritten? They're just so old-fashioned and weird and just... Mm. Do you think you'll write more? Yeah, um, maybe not exactly fairy tales, but something like that. And I'm definitely going... Um, when I grow up, I definitely want to get a career as an author, maybe. Yeah, keep keep writing for sure. Um, it's an amazing thing to create worlds for people to enter, isn't it? Well, thank you so much. We love the story. Tell me about your story. How did this come about? Well, I got inspiration from uh, 
Ever After High. Um, I really uh, like Ever After High and all the stories and stuff. And I also like forage through all the kind of fairy tales and stuff and it popped in my head and yeah, and I kind of changed it. I love it. And did it all just flow out then, the idea? Yeah, I like to write about stories and I've noticed that every time I do that, when I do it, it like goes on to another story. Oh, cool, cool. All right, well, do you want to read us the story? We all know the story of Little Red Riding Hood, but do we all know the real story? Once upon a time in a cottage not far from the woods lived a petite girl named Little Red Riding Hood and her mum Mary. One normal sunny morning, Little Red Riding Hood's grandma fell worryingly ill. While Mary was cooking up some delicious eggs and bacon, she thought, I'll send Red out with some cookies for the old dear, but no doubt that wolf will be skulking around, thinking up a mischievous scheme. She summoned young Red down the spiral staircase. I want you to take these cookies to your poor ailing grandma and don't talk to any strangers, requested Mary, handing her daughter a basket with a red checkered hanky draped over the top of some cookies. Red obediently did what she was told and off she went. Red had only been skipping for a few minutes when a scruffy but handsome wolf interrupted her. Where are you going on this fine morning, young girl? He totally grinned. Completely forgetting what her mother had instructed her to do, she replied, to take these cookies to my ill grandma. She bent down and picked a bunch of flowers. He bent down, sorry. She'll love these red tulips, won't she? He insisted. Red politely took them from his grip and continued down the path. Knowing that this was his chance, he waited till she was out of sight and he turned on his heel and took his own shot. In no time, he was knocking on Red's grandma's cedar door. As soon as she had answered, he raced in like lightning. He took her kneading wool and enveloped her in it, duct taped her mouth shut and slammed her in the wardrobe. Much better way to stop her than eating her, he said to himself, as he pulled on her pink frilly nightgown. Little Red Riding Hood arrived not long after and noticed something strange about her grandmother. Being the smartest girl in her school, she knew straight away that this was a wolf. Where is my grandma? she demanded. Hesitantly, the wolf replied, Let me explain. He cleared his throat and continued, My grandma is evil. She and one of those hunters, he gestured outside, worked together and killed my whole pack for their pelts. I managed to get away, but it's left me scarred for life. Please, will you help me prevent her from doing it again to another wolf pack? You don't have to like me. I know I'm a wolf, but I really need your help. I don't think I have the courage to do it on my own, he concluded. Red's face began to soften as she processed this. I do like wolves, and this one is desperate. That was a horrid thing my grandma did. I've made up my mind. I'll help him, she thought. I'll help you, Mr. Wolf, she said. Please call me David, and he held out a paw. They chatted on and on about themselves, becoming closer and closer friends as they discovered similarities. They laughed and they and they talked, ignoring the bumps and grumbles from the wardrobe. They made a plan. Later that night, the two snuck into the hunter's log cabin home. They tiptoed in the room with an over, of the overweight woodsman. There was a double bed at the far end of the room with a rocking chair yielding the rifle. As the two crept towards the rocking chair, the floorboards beneath them squeaked loudly. Red gritted her teeth, hoping the hunter wouldn't wake from his slumber. David snatched up the gun and they both ran. As soon as they got out, the wolf jumped for joy and Red grinned with pride. They had finally ended the reign of terror those two had brandished over the woods. With Grandma tied up and the hunter now gunless, they couldn't hurt any more wolf packs. Fifteen years later. From that moment in life, the mismatched pair had grown to love each other and thrive together. David and Red got married and settled down to have a family. 
They had two wolf girls, Ash and Leto. They moved out of the woods and into an apartment. Red works at a supermarket and David is a teacher. And they all still live happily ever after. In case you were curious, the grandma was found and rescued by the hunter. The pair realised the error of their ways after their experience and never harmed another wolf. Yay! (laughs) I love the happy ending. I love that the wolf's name is David as well. (laughs) Where did that come from? I don't, I'm not really sure, but it's just like popped in my mind because I'm really good at naming characters. Oh, so do you write lots? Yes, I do. (laughs) What do you like writing about? Fantasy and um, sometimes mystery because I like mystery. Josephine McGuinness, and I am 10. Excellent. You are part of this young authors group, aren't you? Can you tell me a bit about that? It's basically a group where we work with real published authors to polish our work, get advice on our work, and I actually got my young authors packed today, which is like a book, pens, highlighters, things like that. And basically you're in a group on this app called Seesaw where you can see different people's pieces, write feedback on them and get feedback yourself. And there's a whole bunch, there's 10 different schools doing it. Cool. And what kind of stuff do you like writing? I like writing narratives more than anything. Yeah, I like making stuff up. (laughs) Excellent. So yeah, this was a good challenge for you, this story. Yes. But I kind of, I find it hard to do things like basing it on a different thing. You prefer to just imagine it from your mind? Yes. Oh, I'm yeah, I'm excited to hear more of your writing, like all these young people doing all kinds of styles and characters. It's awesome. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Cinderella. She was anything but ordinary. You see, she lived in a time when women were expected to marry. Cinderella didn't want to get married, though. She wanted to be a knight. Fighting wars and commanding armies was what she really wanted to do. But only men can become knights, her stepsisters and stepmother would tell her. She knew she could prove them wrong. She told everyone about her dream. Everyone gave her the same answer. Women can't be knights. But she was determined. Cinderella sent an application to night school, hoping with all her might they would accept her. She got in, but everyone made fun of her. She just ignored them, but sometimes it was hard because their laughing voices echoed in her head as if they were standing right next to her. She trained, ignoring their mean yells and screams for ten long years until she graduated from night school. Cinderella slowly moved up the ranks until she became general of the entire army, paving the way for women to follow their dreams no matter what. Charge! Yay! Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Do you have any dreams that you would like to achieve? I kind of want to be like a dancer or a musician. Cool. Keeping it open. I'm not quite sure what I actually want to (laughs) do. There's plenty of time. Um, And do you have a favourite book? Is that a hard question? 
Yes, because I like I like a lot of books. I have three favorite series. So I like the Wings of Fire series, um, which is about dragons and the prophecy and things like that. And I like the Harry Potter series. That's very very cool. And I like the Nevermore series, Wondersmith and Hollypox. Yes. So, do you know which um, house you're in in Harry Potter? Hufflepuff. Okay, I just did the test yesterday. What's Harry Potter's again? Gryffindor. Yeah, that's me. Um, I'm in Hufflepuff, but I'm I'm kind of in Huffleclaw because some of the tests I get Ravenclaw. Most of them I get Hufflepuff. Um, I went to the store of requirement and got the hat there, and yeah, I was I was Hufflepuff, but. I've also been to like a Harry Potter party once. It was it was like a it was like a hen's night or something. I I wasn't invited. I was like one of the people. It was a Harry Potter themed one, so I was one of the people outside, like being a being a wizard. But then I also had to go inside, crouch under a um crouch under a stool for three hours, just um with my hand up the Sorting Hat, playing an iPod thing, and then having to move its mouth to it. So that was kind of annoying. <laughs> Oh, you've started your performing career already. Yeah, I also I also do musical theatre productions and stuff. Do you want to sing us something? Sure. Go for it. Dancing bears, painted wings, things I almost remember, and a song someone sings. Once upon a December. Awesome. Oh, my God, amazing. So, yeah, tell me about the um, place you go and do music stuff. I go to a place called BCMA, which is Ballarat Centre for Music and the Arts, and um, I'm working on Aladdin Jr. at the moment. I am the Sultan. Always ends with happy ever after. But in between. Deep within the page, there's brand new stories to be told That was the beautiful Turn the Page Today, written and performed by Freya and Tom McGowan, especially for this episode, and with the theme Change the Story, Change the World. And you also got a treat from Josie giving us a little song in there, as she said, currently appearing as the Sultan in BRMC's Aladdin. So that was our wonderful writing competition winners, Annabelle with her take on the Three Little Pigs, Orlani's reimagined Little Red Riding Hood, and runners-up Ishika and Josie with two unique and inspiring versions of Cinderella. We loved having you in the studio. And to finish the comp, we have Frankie's take on Medusa, sent in from Melbourne and to get a little myth-busting in here too. Thanks to all the lovely parents who have supported this fun as well. Over to you, Frankie. Hi, my name's Frankie and I'm six. I love great myths because they're very scary. I'm sorry for Medusa because she got turned into a monster and it wasn't her fault. So I gave her a unicorn and a fairy one because that is kind of unfair. Once upon a time, Poseidon made Medusa go into a temple. 
Medusa didn't even want to go in there. It was Athena's temple. Athena got very cross because it was actually the silent idea in the first place. And then he, he, Athena turned his hair into snakes, 1,000 of them. Athena gave her side in the power to turn everything to stone. Everything. He loved everything, even his parents. And he was never allowed out of the sea again, and he, and he took away his trident. Athena looked at Medusa and she said, she's very sorry at the signing was mean. And gave her a beautiful, sparkly fairy one with a star on top. She also gave Medusa a new unicorn called Seeker. The fairy one gave everyone in the world hope and happiness and life. The End by Frankie Dickinson, the greatest. (laughs) Before we say goodbye and tell you about the next episode, I've got Mr Minerva stopping in, a.k.a. Julian, who was the judge of the writing competition and had lots of fun reading them. Were there any favourite moments? (laughs) It seemed to be an important important kind of numerical detail that there was first 48 tea bags and then 38 tea bags. I thought that was hilarious. That I lolled, actually. He did loll. He was on the couch with, with Boots the cat having a good loll. What, yeah, what do you think this sort of task yeah, achieves? Encourages people to use their brains and, and think of new ways of telling stories, but more broadly it helps us to think about what storytelling and um, narrative is actually about for us as human beings and what significance storytelling has for us. It's how we think of ourselves as a culture and our own heroes of our own stories. We're all each the protagonist and main character of our own story, but the telling of those stories relies on archetypal fairy tales, narratives, and so on, mythologies. But these aren't static. They They need to be dynamic and constantly readapted. And this has been a really good process, I think, for your participants. And, yeah, what role do you think different kinds of art can play? Again, it's all, it's all about storytelling and providing form. A world without art is a world without form, and we'd be completely lost. Thanks so much for listening. The next episode will be themed Coming of Age, and our guest artist will be the amazing YA writer Leanne Hall, who has a new book out called The Gaps. We'll also be collecting stories from you, Record us an audio message on your phone and send it through to be featured on the show. Tell us about your favourite books that influenced you as a teenager or young adult and why. Were you Babysitter's Club, Lord of the Rings, Catcher in the Rye? How did they help you come through to the other side? This episode of Gather with Minerva's Books and Ideas was produced by me, Amy Silomanis, with sound engineering by the amazing Dave Byrne. Our book seeds with a bee and the orange tree by Melissa Ashley, published in 2019 by Affirm Press. And There Was Once the Collected Fairy Tales by Deborah Klein, published 2009 by Moth Woman Press, and available to buy at the wonderful Playing in the Attic at 119A Sturt Street, Ballarat, Australia. Check it out. Music featured in this episode was the song Turn the Page Today by Tom and Freya McGowan, and a selection of songs by Tom under the name Button Jar Canyon and the album Small Fire Brightly. Check him out on Bandcamp, a great place to directly support musicians, by the way, where you can also find Ellen's music under her name Shadow Feet. We also heard the bizarre and charming sounds of the Anarchy Fairy Park. Where hopes and dreams last for all time. <gasps>
Thanks again to guests Lucy and to Sarah. You should totally get along to Ballarat's Frolic Festival, which Sarah is part of organising, an exciting lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer and asexual, LGBTIQA+, arts and culture festival in Ballarat. Also check out the Australian Fairy Tale Society and their new anthology, South of the Sun, that features Sarah Hart and a guest people might be familiar with coming up in a later episode, storyteller Annie Stewart. On our Minerva's Instagram TV, you can also see me reading another tale from Deborah's book, along with many more. You can find Minerva's books and ideas online and all the different ways you can support the show. Thanks for listening. We look forward to hearing your coming-of-age book stories, and we'll catch you next time. The End by Frankie Dickinson, The Greatest. <laughs> <laughs>